Thank you, Brother Greg, for doing a wonderful job leading us in those songs. It's been a wonderful day of worship. I'm so happy to see all of you here this morning. I'm happy to see we have so many guests, people from our community that are here. Thank you so much for being here as a church family. We're just so grateful that you're here. We're so honored that you chose to be here to worship God with us, and we hope that you'll hang around a little bit, let us talk to you, get to know you better. We want to encourage you. If you want to study the Bible some more, let me know. Let us know. We'll study the Bible with you. So glad that you are here. You're among friends. You're in a good place. You can relax and enjoy studying from the Bible with us. I'm glad to be back home. I was with a wonderful church in Marion, Indiana. Had a good gospel meeting with some wonderful Christian people. Very encouraging folks. But it's especially good to be back in your own bed, right? And it's good to be able to uh, be back with your family again, be back with your church family at Monta Vista. So happy to see all of you. Let's jump into the Bible. I want to go to Matthew, the 28th chapter. I appreciate Brother Chuck, our good Brother Chuck, for reading uh, Matthew 27, verses 57 down to verse number 66. I want to pick up with that reading that Brother Chuck gave for us with Matthew 28, beginning with verse number 1. I want to read the rest of the story. Matthew 28, verse number 1, the Bible says, Now after the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to look at the grave. And behold, a severe earthquake had occurred, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled away the stone and sat upon it. And his appearance was like lightning, his clothing as white as snow. The guards shook for fear of him and became like dead men. The angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you're looking for Jesus, who has been crucified. He is not here, for he has risen. Just as he said, come see the place where he was lying. Announcements. Announcements. What are some of the biggest announcements that you've ever heard in your life? Was it the announcement of the assassination of President John F. Kennedy in 1963, or the announcement when man first walked on the moon in 1969, or the announcement of President Richard Nixon's resignation following the Watergate scandal in 1974, or the death of Elvis Presley, or Martin Luther King, or John Lennon, or Princess Diana, or that horrible announcement regarding those terrorist attacks on September the 11th of 2001. While all of those announcements were certainly huge and heard by millions and millions of people across the globe, I submit that none of them begin to compare to the announcement that we find here in the gospel. None of them begin to compare to the announcement that was made by an angel of God 2,000 years ago on a faithful Sunday morning, going back to our text here in Matthew 28, notice how after telling us about the darkest day in human history, the day where Jesus died on a cross, Matthew then tells us about the brightest day in human history. He then tells us about a day like none other, a day of power, a day of victory, a day when an angel told some women disciples that Jesus was not in the tomb because he has risen. 
He is alive. He has been resurrected from the dead. That announcement is not only the greatest announcement that anybody could ever hear at that particular time, but it also continues to be the greatest announcement that anybody could hear in our time today. It is the greatest announcement that I could hear today. And it's the greatest announcement that you could hear today. In fact, you and I both know that today a lot of people are thinking about this announcement, right? They're thinking about this good news. They're thinking about the empty tomb and the resurrection of Jesus. And while I certainly understand, I understand that there's no special mandated once a year celebration for the church to observe, to remember the resurrection of Jesus. At the same time, I also believe very strongly that all the focus regarding the resurrection of Jesus and our culture and in our society provides us with a great opportunity. It provides us with a timely moment. It provides us with an occasion to focus and give some special attention to the key foundation stone to our faith, which is the announcement made by the angel that he has risen. Why is this announcement the greatest announcement in the Bible? Why is this announcement the greatest announcement in the history of the world? Well, I submit that there are at least three reasons why this announcement made by an angel is unlike any other announcement we've ever heard in our lives. And the first reason why is because this announcement confirmed Jesus' victory over Satan. It confirmed Jesus' victory over the devil. It confirmed the fact that the devil and those who followed him, they were not going to get the last word. They were not going to get the final say. They were not going to win this great spiritual battle, even though for a time it looked like they were going to win. Going back to where our scripture reading came from this morning that Brother Chuck read for us in Matthew chapter 27, I want you to notice how by the end of Matthew 27, by the time you get to Matthew 27 in verse number 66, Jesus, Jesus has died. Jesus has died. The son of God, God in the flesh, he has died. In fact, he didn't, he didn't just die, but he died on a cross. He died the death of a criminal. He died the death of an insurrectionist. He died between two thieves. He died after being severely beaten. And having nails driven in his hands and his feet, he died after being humiliated, after being laughed at, spit on, mocked, called a phony and a fraud and a fake. He died the worst death imaginable, and nobody came to help him. Nobody from heaven came to help him. No angel came to help him. God the Father did not intervene and come to help him. Even his disciples forsook him the night before, and they made no attempt to, to come to his aid. Jesus died. He died. And he died all alone. And my friends, if his story ends right there, if the story ends at Matthew 27, verse 66, you know what that means? That means the devil won. 
That means he won. That means he experienced complete victory. It means that Jesus has died, he has been buried, and he has been confined to the deep depths of Hades. That's what that would mean if the story ends right there. But praise the Lord, the story doesn't end right there. But praise the Lord that three days later on a Sunday morning, God said, God said, no. God said, no, the devil did not win. No, the devil did not prevail. No, no, Jesus is not a phony and a fraud and a fake like many of his his enemies suggested. Instead, he is the victorious king. He is the son of God. He's the Christ. He's the Messiah. Will you go in your Bible, please, to the book of Romans with me? We're going into our New Testament. We're going to flip over a few books to the book of Romans right after the book of Acts. We're going to go to Romans chapter 1 this morning. Romans chapter 1, and we're going to listen to the words of the Apostle Paul. Well, the Apostle Paul begins the book of Romans with these words. In Romans chapter 1 and verse number 1, the book begins like this. Paul, a bondservant of Christ Jesus, called as an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets and the Holy Scriptures concerning his son, who was born of a descendant of David. Now, that's important because the Old Testament said that the Messiah was going to come through a specific family, a specific person from Israel. He was going to come from David. He's got to come from David. Paul says Jesus came from David. Concerning his son who was born of the descendant of David, according to the flesh, who was declared the son of God with power, how? By the resurrection. By the resurrection from the dead, according to the spirit of holiness, Jesus Christ our Lord. Notice how according to what the Apostle Paul says there, the resurrection, the resurrection was the moment when God verified the true identity of Jesus. It is when God certified Jesus. It is when God declared Jesus to be everything he claimed to be. He is the Son of God. He is the Lord. He is the Messiah. He is the way and the truth and the life. You see, if Jesus had just died on a cross and that was it, well, he would have been no different than anybody else who died on a cross at that time. A lot of people died on crosses at this time. He would have been no different than the two thieves who died on crosses with him. He would have been no different than anybody else the Roman government condemned to die on a cross. In fact, he would have been worse than all those other guys because he would have been a false messiah. He would have been a charlatan, a phony, a fake, a hoaxer, someone who promoted a false gospel and predicted things about himself that did not happen. Will you go into your Bible now back to Matthew, please? Look at Matthew, the 16th chapter. We're going back to the Gospel of Matthew, and this is not long before Jesus made his final trip to Jerusalem. And Matthew, the 16th chapter, and in verse number 21, in verse 21, it says, From that time Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests, and the scribes and be killed and raised up on the third day. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. He's rebuking Jesus. Are you kidding me? He rebukes him saying, God forbid it, Lord, that this shall ever happen to you. Rebuking Jesus never turns out well because in verse 23, it says, he, Jesus, turned to Peter and said, get behind me, Satan. 
How would you like for Jesus to call you the devil right to your face? Peter got called the devil by Jesus. He says, you're a stumbling block to me, for you're not setting your mind on God's interest but man's. So notice what's going on there, particularly verse 21. Notice how Jesus makes predictions. He's making some predictions. He is saying that his journey to Jerusalem, his final trip to Jerusalem, would include some very specific things. He is going to be rejected. He's going to be rejected by the corrupt religious leaders. He's going to be killed, and he's going to be raised on the third day. He's going to be raised from the dead. That's what the Lord predicts there, and if everything doesn't happen exactly the way he said he, he said it was going to happen, well, he's going to get exposed. He's going to be exposed to be a liar. He's going to be exposed to be a phony and a fraud and a false messiah. He's going to be exposed to be someone who made outrageous claims about himself that did not happen. And that's why the angel said this. That's why the angel told the women that Jesus is not here, for he has risen just as what? Just as he said. That's important. You see, while those women disciples came to the tomb, with great sadness, they were not anticipating on seeing a risen Jesus. They came to the tomb with great sadness because they thought the Christianity movement was over. They thought the movement of Jesus ended when he died on the cross, but the angel says, no, it's okay. It's okay. Everything worked out exactly the way Jesus said it was going to work out. Like he promised, he suffered, he died, he was buried, and he has been raised on the third day. When I consider the words of the angel here, I can't help but also not be reminded of the very first prophecy of the work of Jesus that's found in the Bible. Many of you know where I'm going. I'm going to Genesis 3. Will you, will you go to Genesis 3? Remember in Genesis 3, after Adam and Eve sinned against God, God began announcing punishments, judgments on everybody involved in that. He announced judgment on Adam, the man. He announced judgment on Eve, the woman. And he also announced judgment on the serpent. He, he announced judgment on, on the devil. And he said in Genesis 3, in verse number 15, Genesis 3, verse 15, I will put enmity. The word enmity there means hostility. There's going to be hostility between you and the woman. And that began immediately. There's hostility between the devil and Eve. And between your seed, the offspring of Satan, and her seed, the offspring of Eve, which would ultimately result in Jesus. Jesus came from Eve, or the descendant of man, the son of man. And between your seed and her seed, he, the seed of the woman, that's a reference to Jesus, shall bruise you on the head, and you, Satan, will bruise him on the heel. Notice the conflict, the battle, the struggle that would take place between Satan and Jesus. Question. When did all of that happen? When did the words of this verse come to pass? Well, I submit that all of this happened during the time frame that, that we've been talking about today. When Satan used evil men to put Jesus on a cross, he bruised Jesus on the heel, that is, he inflicted upon him a minor blow. 
he experienced a small victory. He was able to celebrate the fact that light, spiritual light, had been removed from the earth. But when Jesus was raised, when he kept his promise, when he did everything he said he was going to do, well, he then inflicted a death blow against Satan. He crushed his head. He experienced the ultimate victory against him, and he was declared to the world to be everything he claimed to be, the Son of God, the Lord, and the Messiah. You see, by announcing he has risen, the angel is confirming that the devil has been defeated. The words of Genesis 3 verse 15 have come to pass. While Satan is a fierce enemy that we cannot defeat on our own, we can defeat him through Jesus Christ. The resurrection confirms that we can actually defeat the devil with Jesus Christ. This is something that we got to always remember when we find ourselves getting discouraged. As Christians, whenever we find ourselves getting discouraged, as we observe a world that is evil and cold and ugly and getting further and further away from the will of God, whenever we find ourselves getting discouraged by dwindling local churches and, and disciples who choose to leave Jesus Christ, whenever we find ourselves getting discouraged about the rising number of atheists in this world and agnostics and people who are involving themselves in false religions, whenever we find ourselves as Christians getting discouraged about these things, we need to remember that none of that stuff, none of that stuff we're seeing means the devil's winning. None of that stuff means that the devil is going to win. None of that stuff we're seeing means that the devil is defeating Jesus and that he can defeat Jesus. In fact, the resurrection proves that Jesus already totally defeated him. He's a defeated enemy. And we can experience victory over him through Jesus Christ. And so this announcement, he has risen, confirmed. It confirmed Jesus' victory over the devil, but not only did it confirm the victory over Satan, it also confirmed the victory over death. The victory over death. I'm talking about physical death here. So go back in your Bible again to Matthew 28. Do you remember what the angel said to those women disciples before he made this announcement, he has risen? In Matthew 28 and verse number 5, in Matthew 28 and verse 5, the first thing the angel said to the women is four words. He said, do not, do not be afraid. Wow. Do not be afraid. Why would the angel have to tell them that? Well, you and I both know why the angel would have to tell them that. You and I both know from careful study of our Bible that angels, angels can be terrifying. Angels can be frightening. Angels are extremely powerful beings that God has used throughout the course of history to wipe out entire armies. In fact, look at verse number four. When the guards in verse four of this chapter saw this angel, when they saw this angel, these are the guards surrounding the tomb of Jesus. The Bible says they did what? They shook for fear. They were terrified. They were so terrified that the Bible says they became like what? Like dead men. They were terrified by this angel. But you know what people seem to be more terrified of than angels? Death. 
death, and dying. If you go home today and ask Siri, I'm not saying do that now. I hear you if you do it now. If you go home and ask Siri, because Siri seems to know everything, if you ask her, what are the top things that people are afraid of in the world today? I guarantee you that Siri's going to tell you. She's going to say that in that list is death. It's dying. Usually in most polls, in poll after poll after poll, it seems that death is the second greatest fear that people have in the world today. The only thing people seem to be more afraid of than death is what I'm doing right now is public speaking. People would rather die than get in front of a crowd of people and talk. People are terrified of death. And here's the question. Why? Why are people afraid of death? Why are people afraid to die? Well, I believe that one of the main reasons why people are afraid of death is because death dwells in the realm of the unknown. I'll say that again. Death dwells in the realm of the unknown. I mean, think about it. I don't care who you are this morning. No one here knows what it's like to die. No one here knows what it's like to have your soul exit out of your body. Now, you may know what it's like to stop breathing for a little bit, but you don't know what it's like to have your soul exit out of this body. No one knows what that's going to look like, feel like, smell like, be like, and not knowing that can make us afraid, right? It can make us afraid, but I'm reminded of something. I'm reminded of the last thing that Brother Dwight Holden, we had this memorial service yesterday, and I'm reminded of the last thing he told my kids when he saw them. A few weeks ago, me and my wife and the elders and our kids, we went, to, we went, to buy, the, went by their house to see them, and, and Brother Dwight asked my kids, Come near his bed. He wanted to tell them something. And he said to both of them, he said, I never want you to forget something. He said, I never want you two to forget that I am not afraid to die. He told them that. He said, you never forget that I am not afraid to die. Why wasn't he afraid to die? Why wasn't Brother Dwight afraid to die? Well, the reason why he wasn't afraid to die is because of Jesus. It's because he served Jesus. He loved Jesus. He trusted Jesus. He had confidence that because Jesus had conquered death and been victorious over death, the Lord was going to take care of him when he died. He believed that. And he had good reason to believe that because I'm going to my Bible to Revelation. I want to show you several scriptures, please. Revelation chapter 1, the last book of your Bible. Remember what Jesus said to the Apostle John. John's going to see a vision of the risen Savior here in Revelation 1 and verse 17. And John says, when I saw him, when I saw Jesus, I fell at his feet like a dead man. John is afraid here. And he placed his right hand on me saying, do not be afraid. Don't be afraid. I am the first and the last and the living one. I was dead. I was dead, Jesus said. And behold, I'm alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades. Notice how Jesus says three important things there in verse 18. First, he says, I'm the living one. They crucified me. 
You saw me die, John, but I'm the living one. I'm alive. And he says, I'm alive forevermore. I'll never die. I'll never die again. You'll never see Jesus die again. And he says he has the keys of death and Hades. Keys represents authority. Jesus has authority over death and over the realm of the dead, the place where departed souls go. Jesus says, you don't have to be afraid to die because I have conquered death. And, and I'm reminded of what the Hebrew writer said in Hebrews chapter 2. Please go in your Bible to Hebrews 2. I think this is a good one to have marked in your Bible. In Hebrews chapter 2, verse number 14. In Hebrews chapter 2, verse number 14, the Hebrew writer says, Therefore, since the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise also partook of the same, that through death, through death, through the death of Jesus, he might render powerless him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and might free, th free those who through fear of death were subject to slavery all their lives. Notice how Jesus' death and his resurrection accomplished victory over the two things we're talking about right now. The Hebrew writer says that. Victory over the devil, victory over death, victory over us having to fear death. That's what the Hebrew writer says. And then we got to get some 1 Corinthians 15 in this, where Paul, and we just sang about this in the last song before I came up here, where Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 15 in verse 50, in 1 Corinthians 15 in verse 50, Paul says, Now I say this, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. In other words, we're not going to go into heaven like this. Can't go in like this. Not going to go in with hair on your head. Not going to go in with a nose and some eyes and a tongue with black skin or white skin or whatever color skin you have. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Nor does the perishable put on the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we'll be changed. He's talking about when the Lord comes back. We're going to be changed. In a moment, in the twinkle of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised. That's resurrection. Dead will be raised imperishable, and this mortal will put on immortality. Verse 54, but when this perishable will have put on the imperishable, and this mortal will have put on immortality, then will come about the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Death continues to sting, does it not? And we just felt the sting recently. Having to say goodbye to a brother we love here. You've lost a parent, you felt the sting of death. You lost a spouse, you felt the sting of death. If you've had to bury a child, you have felt the sting of death. We all have felt the sting of death. It continues to sting. But the scripture says this. The scripture says that Jesus experienced victory over death and because of that victory because he conquered death because the grave could not hold him we don't have to be afraid to die we don't have to be afraid to die we don't have to live our lives viewing death as the end and, and permanent we don't have to first experience death to be able to live our lives understanding and believing that everything is going to be okay when we have to die why death is an unavoidable reality for us all, while it continues to sting until the Lord comes back. Because of Jesus, because he has power over death, 
If we trust him and serve him and love him and pledge allegiance to him, one day we're going to experience total victory over death through him, through his resurrection. The resurrection confirmed his victory over the devil, over death, but one more thing very quickly. It also confirmed victory over sin. Victory over sin. You know, we've talked a lot today about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. That's the core. That, that's the foundation of the gospel. But the question is, why did all that stuff have to happen? Why did Jesus have to go through all that stuff? Why did Jesus have to suffer and you know, live a perfect life and die on a cross and be buried and raised from the dead? Well, the reason why all that stuff had to happen is because of sin. It's because of sin. It's not because of his sin. He didn't have any sins. It's because of Sean Jeffrey's sins. And it's because of your sins. It's because Romans 3.23 says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. It's because sin has stained us. Sin has infected us. Sin has severed our relationship with God because of sin. Jesus had to die. And I emphasize had to die. There was no other way. There is no other way. There's no plan B. There's no other path. There's no other means by which we could be saved. Jesus had to go through those things. And that means that when the angel said he has risen, he's also saying that God's plan has been accomplished. God's work of redemption has been fulfilled. Jesus has completed the work of the Messiah by living a perfect life, dying on the cross, being buried and raised from the dead because he did everything he said he was going to do. Because he did everything the prophets in the Old Testament said he was going to do. That means that forgiveness and salvation and reconciliation, justification, spiritual adoption into the family of God, all that stuff is available to us. It's available to me. And it's available to you. I don't care what bad stuff you may have done in your past. And Paul makes that point in Romans 5, verses 8 through 10. But I want to go to Peter's words as we get ready to wrap up our lesson in 1 Peter chapter 1. I'm going to go to one more place in my Bible, and that's 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning with verse number 3. In 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 3, Peter says these words, Blessed be the God and Father. Of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed at the last time. Notice how because that tomb was found empty. Because Jesus was raised and seen victorious over the devil, death, and sin, the Bible says as Christians, if we're Christians, we can have hope. We can have real hope, authentic hope, a living hope that we have been truly born again, forgiven, and we have an inheritance waiting for us in heaven. In fact, I want you to think about our first lesson we had this morning. If you were here for the, for the first hour, do you remember the first sermon we had this morning? Remember in the first sermon, we talked about baptism. 
We talked about baptism for remission of sins. We said that nothing, nothing should stand in the way. Nothing should prevent us from obeying Jesus and being baptized for the forgiveness of our sins. Now, for those of you here this morning and you've been baptized for the Bible reason, for the Bible reason, you followed the plan of the Bible. You believe the gospel and you were baptized so you can't be saved. You didn't believe, then you got saved and you got baptized. No, that's not the Bible's pattern. The Bible says if you have believed and been baptized, you will be saved. You're a Christian. Now, if you've done that, and many of you have done that, let me ask you a question. Why? Why did you even do that? Why can you receive salvation? Why can you be forgiven? Why can you actually have your sins washed away by being baptized? Well, the reason why is because of Jesus. It's because of the hope found in Jesus. It's because he lived a sinless life and he died on the cross and he was buried in a tomb. But three days later, he was raised from the tomb and declared victorious over sin. That is why the resurrection of Jesus is the key foundation stone to our faith. That is why our faith as Christians stands or falls on the resurrection. That is why we need to use opportunities like this in moments like this in our country to rehearse the significance of the resurrection. And so while we live in a world where big announcements are made all the time, let's never forget the world's biggest announcement. Let's never forget the announcement made by the angel at the empty tomb. Let's never forget that Jesus was declared to be the son of God, victorious over the devil, victorious over death, victorious over sin because, because he was risen. The words, he has risen. Those words are the most beautiful words that are found in the Bible. Those are the most beautiful words we could ever see on a screen or we could ever hear in our lives. And maybe there's somebody here and you've yet to respond to those words. Maybe there's someone here and you've yet to give your life to God based on your belief in, in those words. If that is the case, if that's the case, then guess what? This is your moment. This may be your last moment. This is your time. This is your opportunity. This is your chance to follow the living Savior who currently sits at the right hand of God. And so if there's anyone here this morning who needs to obey the gospel of the one who was raised from the dead. You come to the front right now. We'll be glad to assist you in any way we can. Let's stand. Let's sing.